It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us for our show on privilege, as I promised you just a few days ago. You know, when I made that promise a few days ago that our next show would be devoted to the concept of privilege and how current events fit into the broad theme of of how privilege works in this country and what it means for this country, I thought, gee, just a couple of days, maybe I could really focus on, on this topic. I wouldn't have to do the news. But I, of course, forgot there for a moment, wishful thinking on my part, that Donald Trump was still the president of the United States and he still had his finger on his cell phone, on his Twitter finger. So, well, the news managed to inject itself into this conversation despite my best hopes and best intentions. Of course, you've undoubtedly heard by now that the president of the United States went full, flat-out racist within the last day or so, telling the four progressive freshman congresswomen who've so distinguished themselves to go back to the countries from which they had come. For the purposes of clarity, and to be fair, I will read the three tweets in particular that are at question by the President of the United States. So So interesting to see progressive Democratic Congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt, and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly, dot, 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 and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how. It is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements! Exclamation point. Those were the words of our racist-in-chief, Jim Crow Trump. I guess we start out again, being as fair as we can, by pointing out that he managed to not refer to them as shithole countries, and there perhaps we've seen the maturing of the President of the United States of America. But... Go back to where you are from, he says to U.S. Congresswoman, whose skin happens to be a little bit browner than his is, and a lot less orange for that matter. This is overt racism. This goes even beyond most of what Trump has done in the past, puts away all evidence of dog whistles, and just goes full, flat-out racism. And... Finally, let's be clear, the Republican Party has had enough of this. (laughs) I'm just kidding. The Republican Party hasn't said anything as of the time that I'm recording this. As as we examine the impact of of this tweet, 
or these tweets and what they mean. I want to point out here, I have to point out that, of course, three of the four congresswomen whom he addressed were born in America. So the country that he wants to send them back to that obviously has help, needs help with democracy and all those other things, at least in that sense, he's right with respect to three out of four of them because God knows this country needs a lot of help with our democracy. But of course, the fact that he's factually wrong again is really not the issue here. What he said is awful regardless of whether they came from America or not. And in many respects, to note that three out of four are from here gives sort of too much creeds, gives too much weight to this all bigoted tweets, is all bigoted, I would say argument, it's not an argument, in the first place. Let's be clear that this overt racism, this overt to appeal to the most racist of the Republican base is happening at the same time, the same day that they are threatening to begin the mass roundups of immigrants that he has been promising us. The mass roundups and undoubtedly detention and then ultimately expulsion of brown-skinned people who don't have their papers. This is happening right after his celebrated, he he celebrated right-wing trolls at the White House. The lowest form of human shit on the planet. Right-wing social media liars, liars and propagandists. He had these scumbags to the White House to celebrate them. While they can all get together and express their mutual hatred of reality or news or anything that's actually true and not motivated by bias and bigotry. These racist tweets are happening while we are still in the midst of figuring out what the hell's going to ultimately happen with the citizenship question of the United States Census. As I record this, Trump is, has gone back to position number two, four, so I don't remember, of, okay, they're not going to keep pushing to get the citizenship question on the census, but they will get it in there in other ways. So we're going to intimidate people. We're going to figure out ways to not count these people and to continue to to reinforce minority rule in this country. Again, minority being Republican white people, not actual minorities. We're going to continue to do all these things. We're just not necessarily going to be able to do it because of what the Supreme Court said by asking a question on the census. This is at a time when we look at this administration and we see once again that their emulation of Nazis is in full bloom. This is an administration that has gone flat-out Nazi, flat-out fascist, taking every page out of the Nazi playbook. And while this is going on, while the President of the United States is doing his best to emulate the most craven, disgraced, disgusting people in the history of the world, his approval ratings apparently are at an all-time high, according to at least one recent poll. This country, at some point, is headed to the reckoning that Germany has had to undergo for itself. 
the reckoning that Germany has been really still undergoing since the end of World War II. But this country has not reckoned with it yet. And in fact, half of this country, to show how divided we are as a nation, half of this country simply still does not believe that any reckoning is due. Half of this country that is actually finding Trump's overt racism more of a reason to support him, not less. Last night, I had the opportunity to go, and I did go, to a great concert. I got to see Leonard Skinner perform in Forest Hills. Yeah, I'm strange it is I have to think about this, especially since I'm doing this show right now. I love Southern Rock. There's no question that concert was a lot of fun. They're a great band to listen to, a lot of audience reaction, a lot of audience participation. The place was electric. It's a great concert. They have great music. And yet, while sitting in this concert and enjoying the music, I can't get away from how divided this country is and how I think that there's almost nothing that we can enjoy in this country anymore without addressing these facts about America. I've never seen so many Confederate flags in one place. Certainly not in in the New York area. The music was great. But then when they played Sweet Home Alabama, I, I really was troubled. I wasn't as enthusiastic in my, in my applause and my, and my joining in as I was for the other songs. I was pretty sure that lead singer Johnny Van Zant had a Confederate flag on his microphone during the, the rendition of Sweet Home Alabama. I couldn't get away from the fact that they are celebrating... In the song, they celebrate the former blatantly racist and segregationist governor of Alabama. The song is written as a rebuttal to Neil Young. And several times in the song, they refer specifically to Neil Young in not a very positive way. Leading me to be screaming out, yay, Neil Young, yay, Neil Young. Fortunately, I think nobody around me heard me. It was too loud in there. But what Neil Young had said was that the South in this country still has to reckon with its long history of overt racism. I don't think those are particularly arguable words or sentiments. And Neil Young did that in the song Southern Man, famous song Southern Man, to which Leonard Skinner responded with the song Sweet Home Alabama, saying they are proud of where they are from and good for them being proud of where they are from. But that doesn't mean you can't reckon with what your state has stood for. Throughout this concert, the theme of we're America, USA, USA, yes, that brought us all together. On the other hand, again, I'm reminded that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. Just because you love something doesn't mean you can't criticize it. In fact, loving something means you can criticize it and should be criticizing it. That's what it means. And a nuanced response. If Sweet Home Alabama was... You know, Neil Young, yes, we have a lot to consider, but there's a lot more about Alabama that we could be proud of than the stuff that we should be ashamed of in our racist past. And you know what? You in the North don't exactly have a clear conscience on this either. That would have been great. That would have been a great rebuttal, and they would have been absolutely right. But instead, we got into our teams. I'm on this side. I'm on on side 
Confederacy, you're on side, the North. I'm particularly troubled as every time I listen to that song. With it, Watergate does not bother me. Does your conscience bother you? I don't. I don't get it. Is Watergate something of the North? The South had nothing to do with Watergate. This country is still divided at the time of Watergate. And have you not noticed that Watergate was the Republican Party and a Republican president? That's your side, not my side. I never understood that line. Watergate does not bother me. Why the hell doesn't Watergate bother you? Anyway, how unbelievably divine we are. While, while I'm listening to the song, A Simple Man, which is a great song. And they're... And Johnny Van Zandt is going to the audience. Yeah, simple man. Way to go, simple man. I'm thinking, yeah, good. That's right. Simplicity is nice. I can applaud that. I don't like the country club liberal set any more than anybody else does. But I'm thinking a simple man and the paying to simple man doesn't mean simple-minded. It means simple. Anyway, I'm sitting at a concert and I'm thinking, can't we just agree on what we agree on? Things like Freebird is a great song. But that's not the way we are at this point. And this country is just ripped apart. And it is ripped apart as it always has been on this issue of race. And it's ripped apart as it always has been. This whole thing leads us back to our discussion of today, which is privilege. Because ultimately... Our racist past and our racist present is still all about privilege. It is a way that many people in our society who don't generally get to call themselves privileged and who are generally not looked upon as privileged by the privileged finally get to feel privileged. So to get us further into this topic, I want to go back to the Jeffrey Epstein story, which I discussed just a few days ago and again, which I'm sure you've heard all about at this point. But I want to focus on how much of this is all about privilege. Yes, it is about men really are shits to a large extent. Men really aren't to be trusted. And yes, it is really about time that a woman lead this country. But more than that is about privilege. In fact, I think much of the sexual abuse that men so overwhelmingly seem to show a propensity for, I think is still about privilege. Alex Acosta, of course, was forced to step down as labor secretary. There was a forced reckoning there. But don't worry about his future, those of you who are feeling sorry that Alex Acosta is being made a scapegoat for this. He's not. He's being held accountable for once for his own actions. To be fair, Alex Acosta, he's not really one of the elite. He wasn't one of the real white privileged members of the Trump administration, the billionaires that are that are throughout this administration. He's not really one of the elite. He's just one of their bitches. He's one of the hangers on. He's one of the minions of the elite doing their bidding in the hopes that some of their eliteness will rub off on him. In order to do that, in order to promote the interests of the elite, as a federal prosecutor, he blatantly violated two laws, two rules at least, regarding the necessity of informing victims and regarding confinement conditions that were required in, in Palm Beach, by Palm Beach County regulations of sex offenders. 
when he talked about how times were different then. I ridiculed this just a few days ago, that 10 years ago, we're supposed to believe that sexual abuse of minors just, you know, wasn't a thing, wasn't something you needed to worry about. It was. But maybe times were a little bit different in the sense that there was never even the thought that there would be accountability for the elite. Because there was always an appeal of sexual abuse, and especially perhaps sexual abuse of minors, because when it comes to privilege, what better way to assert your privilege than by dominating the most vulnerable people in our society? So that brings us to Donald Trump, also embroiled in this fiasco, this tragic comedy. Also, of course, a representative of the impact of privilege, maybe none more so in many respects than Donald Trump. Again, I read this a couple of days ago, but it's worth repeating. Here's what Donald Trump had said in a New York Magazine article in 2002 about child sexual predator, rapist, human trafficker, Jeffrey Epstein. I've known Jeff, uh, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do. And many of them are on the younger side. Did you know that Jeffrey Epstein had once said that he wanted to, quote, set up my modeling agency the same way Trump set up his modeling agency. Apparently, that means in a way that allows me to sexually harass and abuse all of the models. Yeah, there are a lot of skeletons in Donald Trump's closet, some of which, again, as I reported a week ago with E. Jean Carroll, are being examined and coming out once again his history of sexual abuse, and perhaps even rape. But again, focusing on the idea of privilege here, Donald Trump gives us great ground for examining the whole concept of privilege. Donald Trump, of course, was born privileged. He was born incredibly rich. But, like many of the privileged, he was born with a chip on his shoulder and resentment for not being privileged enough or for not even believing that he was privileged. When Donald Trump tells us he made it all on his own, except for a small loan for his father, and that loan runs into the hundreds of millions of dollars, he may just be lying to us, or we may, may really be getting a look into his psyche and what he's actually thinking. Because Donald Trump represents the entitled in the sense that he totally be believes that he deserves whatever he was given and a whole lot more than that. As the great political columnist Molly Ivins had once said about George Bush Sr., he was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Just a tremendous line, I think, that really sums up where most of the ultra-privileged come from. They're born, not only are they born on third base and think they hit a triple, but they are really resentful of the fact that they didn't hit a home run, which they believed Whatever they did deserved to be called. Because it is easy for them to feel the victim. It is easy for Donald Trump to feel the victim. In Donald Trump's case, he was born with just about everything except maybe one of the things he craved the most because he didn't have it. 
He was never accepted into the club of the ultra-rich and the ultra-privileged. He never felt that he was treated as old money, and apparently he wasn't, as the kind of elite, white, trash privilege that he always believed he should be treated as. And that has motivated so much of who he is and who he has been through his whole life. I believe that his racism is not just about money and success on his part. It's about the way he treats others beneath him. It is about the way he raises himself up. He becomes more privileged and more entitled by stepping on the heads of others. The fact that when there was some pushback, at least in the media, Donald Trump's blatantly racist tweet, his response was to accuse the Democratic congresswomen of being the racists. I think that will appeal to his base. And it probably appeals to him. Because those people are not sufficiently cognizant of white privilege and how white superiority is such that they should be acknowledging. And therefore, they are the racists for not putting white people like him on a high enough pedestal. Sadly, I think this will only boost his appeal. I expect his approval numbers (laughs) probably won't go down, may go up after this. Because he shares with most of his angry, white, resentful base that idea. No matter how low Republicans might keep me, the thing that I really hate the most is that all these people who I know are beneath even me don't understand how much better I am than they are. But of course, this isn't elitism and privilege is not just about Republicans. It's about Democrats too. Bill Clinton is embroiled in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Bill Clinton, for all his good and bad points, one thing that has always been a little repugnant about him is how blatantly he has always sought to be accepted among the privileged. At least with respect to Bill Clinton. To be fair, you can understand why, in a financial sense, he would want to be there because he wasn't born there. He actually was born poor. He does have an uplifting family story. But of course, it's about more than that. His desire to be privileged was always about much more than that. Acceptance by the elite. A certain sleaziness, including how it relates to his relationships with women. We don't know at this point whether Bill Clinton knew anything about Jeffrey Epstein and really whether he embraced him as an individual. But it wouldn't shock the conscience for us to know that he did. And maybe shared some stories of young women with him. But what about other Democrats who spent many days sticking with Alex Acosta and refusing to call for him to step down? Maybe we can understand that with the likes of Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. He's a senator from West Virginia, after all. I'm avoiding a West Virginia joke here. But maybe as the Democratic Senator of West Virginia, he really has to act like a Republican who will honor white privilege. But what about the rest of them? 
And I think the answer to a large extent here is that our government is filled. Longtime successful politicians have become country club Democrats and have been accepted in many respects into the same elite Republican circles as the Republicans have. Joe Biden also has an inspiring life story. But maybe one of the reasons he thinks he can work with Republicans is because maybe now, for the most part, they frequent the same country clubs and expensive restaurants and bastions of white privilege. Cy Vance, of course, the New York District Attorney, who got involved, who who got covered in infamy with this Jeffrey Epstein story, also a Democrat, but also, by the way, a product of the elite. Cy Vance, in fact, is Cy Vance Jr., his father had been Secretary Secretary of State, I believe, under Jimmy Carter, was it? I don't know. Go look. Had been former Secretary of State and certainly among the movers and shakers of American society. I worked for half a summer at a law firm in which Cy Vance Sr. was affiliated. Affiliated, I'm sure he didn't actually do any legal work. He glad-handed other wealthy white people for the benefit of the white shoe law firm. That made a lot of money by serving the privileged and the elite, because that's the way back-scratching works. Cy Vance, of course, is District Attorney of New York, Jr. It was his office that made the motion to knock down the sex offender status of Jeffrey Epstein from a level three to a level one. You don't need to know all of what that means, other than level one is a lot less stringent than level three. And this serial sexual predator, this trafficker and rapist of underaged women, many of them, the district attorneys of New New York went to court and tried to relax his sentence, I guess, his, his level one, his level of sexual offender status. Leading the New York State Supreme Court judge, Ruth Pickles, to say, I have to tell you, I'm a little overwhelmed because I have never seen a prosecutor's office do anything like this. Never seen a prosecutor's office do anything like this. Go in and ask for this serial sexual predator's status to be reduced. Now, Cyrus Vance, of course, is saying I had nothing to do with that. Whether you think that this might have been the doing of a mid-level staffer in the district attorney's office, I'll leave that to you, but it doesn't pass the smell test to me. But of course, Cy Vance, it turns out, we're reminded again, and I've covered this on this show years ago. He has a history of a double standard in prosecutions. He was blatantly bought off by Ivanka Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. regarding their criminal activities and lying in selling condominiums. He got rid of the prosecution and let them go. Now, maybe it's just a coincidence that he got many thousands of dollars in campaign donations right after that from their lawyer. I'm sure that's a coincidence. No, actually, this could just be about bribery. Maybe this is just another sordid tale of how rich people buy their way out of criminal laws. More on that in a few minutes. But I think the bigger story here is this is similar to the idea of gentlemen's seas at elite waspy institutions. And the idea that a gentleman, a person of privilege, does not render judgment, such harsh judgment, 
on a fellow member of privilege. Maybe this is a lot about the wealthy white privileged elite in New York banding together because they have to see each other at the country clubs regardless of which political party they're affiliated with. Maybe this goes a long way to explaining Cy Vance's treatment of Harvey Weinstein. And when I say treatment, I mostly mean basically ignoring his long history of criminal misconduct. So this all speaks to the idea of privilege and a reminder once again that we are not equal under the criminal law. That wonderful statue and and icon of blindfolded justice does not mean what it seems to indicate, that justice is blind. As in, blind to who the victim or who the defendant is, it renders justice impartially. No, maybe really all that it stands for is that justice really doesn't know what the hell it's doing. Just this week, the... Supreme Court decided that it was going to hear a Bridgegate appeal from Bridget Kelly. These are the people who were convicted, those minions of Governor Chris Christie. Talk about a guy who was hoping to join the elite and the privileged and got slapped slapped down for it, ultimately. Didn't quite succeed at this point in his quest to join, to join the accepted white privileged. But the people who worked for him who was convicted in the Bridgegate scandal. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear their appeal, apparently ready ready to overturn their convictions by once again narrowing what can be charged and under our criminal laws as corruption or fraud. The Supreme Court and our federal courts in general continue to narrow the scope of what can be considered criminal fraudulent conduct. Now, why is that the case? Fraud and corruption are crimes committed by the privileged. They are crimes committed by wealthy white people. And therefore, they shouldn't be crimes at all. Yes, in our criminal justice system, we've seen in the Jeffrey Epstein case and others how the accessibility of the best and most expensive lawyers or any lawyers at all, for that matter, has such a tremendous impact on our justice system. Alex Acosta was full of shit, basically, when he said that they that it was the best agreement that he could get, given how powerful the defendant's lawyers were. But it is, once again, a reminder of how the elite do not play by the same rules under criminal law as everybody else does. I'm reminded of the friend of a friend who I used to see every year at a party who has a legal practice in New York and it's a long time family practice. I've been at it for a really long time. And every time I saw this guy, every single time he told this funny story that among lawyers, it's often said a good lawyer knows the law. A great lawyer knows the judge. And then we'd all get a big laugh out of that. Ha ha. That's pretty funny. And I'd be thinking, ha ha ha. This is the end of civil society as we know it. But that's just the way things work. Rich people know the judges. They know the prosecutors. They know everybody else. Take a look at how they see us. The Netflix miniseries, four-part series by Ava DuVernay. In fact, take a look at everything that Ava DuVernay has done 
while she has been a director. And take a look at the difference in how the wealthy and the privileged and the poor and the black are treated by our criminal justice system. But of course, that's our criminal system. Our civil system, we don't even pay lip service to equality under civil law. As I've talked about on this show, civil fines are given in a flat amount. Even if both poor people and rich people are liable to face a civil fine, which of course they are not, the fact is that a civil fine, a parking ticket, may cost a poor person in New York 10 or 15 hours of his working time to pay it off. Whereas the same parking ticket would cost a wealthy person three minutes of his time to pay it off. This makes no sense at all. Our civil justice system is just completely made up to benefit the wealthy. We wouldn't abide by a system that on its face said, if a wealthy person commits murder, he goes to jail for a day. If a poor person commits murder, he goes to jail for the rest of his life. And yet that is how our entire civil justice system is set up with poor people unable to pay off their fines because they are so burdensome. Whereas for wealthy people, civil fines aren't even a slap on the wrist. That's a problem. And we need to start, as I've called on the show for for years, we need to start changing our civil laws so they are based on the amount of money you make per hour or your wealth to some extent. So that a poor person might get a parking ticket that costs $10, whereas Jeffrey Epstein may get a parking ticket that costs $100,000. Sounds unfair, except that they earn that amount of money in the same amount of time. One of the bright spots we've seen in this country with equality relating to criminal and civil laws was how Florida voters passed a ballot initiative overwhelmingly to restore voting rights to felons who have served their time in Florida. And this could be a big boon to Democrats. And we were trying to figure out why it was that Republicans let this happen. Well, I expressed my incredulity a long time ago and ex- and expressed what I expected the answer was, and we know what the answer is. The legislature is doing everything they can to make sure that that will never actually happen. And what the Florida legislature has announced, and this is going to go to our courts, is that being done, having completed your sentence, means paying off every fine, court fee, or anything related to your sentence. Which for most poor black people means they'll never pay it off. They'll never get their voting rights back. Wealthy people, Jeffrey Epstein, can pay off his sentence very quickly. Not poor people. Because that's the way the system works. And the system works to protect privilege. It is increasingly clear that this is what the 2020 election will be about. And as far as I'm concerned, absolutely what it should be about and what it needs to be about. Because this is the opportunity presented by the Trump administration. If we survive this, it is the opportunity to take back government and reduce the impact of privilege in our society, to make this country the land of equal opportunity that we all imagined it to be. Because you cannot have equal opportunity while you have privilege. And it is heartening to see Democrats wanting to make this argument that the first bill passed by the newly Democratic House of Representatives with the For the People Act of 2019 
defined as to expand Americans' access to the ballot box, reduce the influence of big money in politics, and strengthen ethics rules for public servants and for other purposes. In other words, to reduce the impact of privilege. Don't get excited, of course. The bill's not going anywhere. Well, why isn't the bill going anywhere? Well, because the idea is to expand Americans' access to the ballot box, reduce the influence of big money in politics, and strengthen ethics rules for public servants. So it's not going anywhere. But maybe it's starting a ball rolling. Take a look at the Democratic debates and how all of the front runners, all of their speaking and all of their policy was against privilege was in favor of more equality. We should all be banding together on this one. We have natural allies of 99% of this country who should be upset at privilege and upset about the fact that their lot in life is much worse than it should be because of the privilege of the top 1% or fewer in this country. But of course, we shouldn't assume these allies came across at my concert, everywhere we go, and what I've been talking about. We're going to test among Republican voters, which is more important, hating the privileged who keep you down or envying them and promoting your own privilege over those you deem to be beneath you. My bet is the resentment and the anger and the asserting their own privilege, the racism, the misogyny, that that is what's going to win out. These people are voting their, against their own interests. They're voting against they're, they're holding the privilege to account because they'd rather hold on to whatever little piece of privilege they've managed to carve out for themselves over people they've managed to make more unfortunate than themselves than they are to make the society more fair. And this becomes the great battle, I believe, of our time. Do we fight for a more equal society? Fight to reduce privilege? Or do we fight to make sure that whatever privilege we have is kept intact from those damn brown people? Anyway, that's today's show. I'm going on vacation for a few days, but I will be back next week. Take care till then. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 